by Zara and myself. We welcome uh, Ray D. McDonald. Am I telling your name okay? I'm not sure. I'm mean, <laughs> a viewer, so I might be a bit fangirling at the moment. Um, you are a, a prolific writer, both as a fanfic writer and a Polish author. Uh, why do you keep writing fanfiction now that you're published? Well, uh, because it's so wonderfully accessible. There's lots of, especially young queer people or queer people who might not uh, have a steady source of income for whatever reason. And AO3, Archive, Archive of Our Own, uh, the main site where people post fanfiction, is just, it's all free. And it's easily categorized and... Everyone has a place there. So I really love the idea of releasing free content for people who might not be able to pay for my books. Because I believe that my work is worth paying for and I am so lucky to have made a career from it. But, you know, for those people who might not be able to afford my books right now, uh, fan fiction is a great way for them to read about people like them, read about queer people. So do you write full-time, and do you find that writing has changed you as a person? I do write full-time. I have for the past three and a half years. It's definitely changed me as a person because it has taught me how essential queer stories are. You can't have a bright and happy future or any future at all if you can't envision it for yourself. And that's what queer fiction does. It helps you envision a future where queer people are celebrated and get to have our own adventures. So the support I've received has really helped me realize just how essential and nourishing these stories are. They're very essential. Um, speaking of essential, in Lucky 7 especially, there's a lot of diversity, body type, uh, identity, and I can go on and on about that. Um, it's amazing. And it's one of the things I love the most uh, about Lucky 7. But how did you choose what to represent or not represent? Did you just throw a bunch of diversity in a hat and pick them? Or did you want to talk about something in specific? What was your approach for that? Well, uh some of it was just I wanted to reflect my friend group and the people that I know uh, because the world is not as white as many white people think and not as straight or cisgender as many straight and cisgender people think. I wanted to reflect the people I knew and cared about. So that's where it started. And then in terms of very specific labels and identities, uh, some of that had to do with who my friends are because I knew that you, you should always make sure that you're asking people who are willing to help you. You shouldn't just expect people from a certain community to give you their expertise. And you should pay them. You should pay your sensitivity readers, even if they're your friends. But, uh, you know, I looked at my friend group and saw, hmm, who would be a good resource for this? So I'm not just pulling it out of thin air and making stuff up. What's the feedback been like from your readers? Have you received lots of feedback? Entirely positive. Uh, people live in the worlds 
like this. It's a reflection of reality, the whiteness and the straightness and the cisgenderness that we see on TV and all the skinny people that are 18 or 18 to 29. And if you're any older than that, like no way. Uh, that isn't what the world is like. And I think people are hungry to see stories that reflect reality, even if it's in a fantastical setting, like a cyberpunk world or a fantasy world. It makes them feel like they can connect more to that world. You know, however strange or different from our present reality it might be. That part remains the same. And why did you choose a cyberpunk universe to tell your story, which could have been told in many different universes? Well, I do love fantasy and I love uh, space operas as well. So cyberpunk is not the only setting I like to write in, but... At the time I wrote Lucky Seven, and even now as I'm finishing up the revisions on Lucky Eight, it just felt, I felt so angry at the state of the world, you know, with corporations gaining more and more power and climate change and just the pushback against basic human rights for everybody. It makes you angry, but at the same time, you can't lose hope and become such a nihilist that you don't see a path forward. So I wanted to simultaneously highlight issues that made me angry and frustrated, but at the same time, show a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. And that glimmer for me in this book and in my life is queer camaraderie. Uh, people coming together from all walks of life and celebrating their differences and also what they have in common and just being each other's found family. So I kind of wanted to mix frustration and hope together, and there's no better medium to do that, in my opinion, with, with than cyberpunk. Following on from Camille's question, uh, does real life make its way into your books? And do people, interesting people you've met, quirky characters, do they make, your, they make their way into your book as well? <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of my fans ask, like, when are you doing a mystery again? Because I've only done one mystery. Uh, and they say, I want to be a victim in your next murder mystery <laughs> novel. And I'm like, well, you might have to wait a little while for that. But uh, definitely some of the themes that I use in my books have come from my life and my friends' lives. I have another series called Fur and Fangs, which is about a vampire and a werewolf meeting in a modern day version of New York City where monsters are just part of the everyday community. Like your butcher is a leprechaun, your landlord is a minotaur, and that's just how it is. It's normal. But uh, definitely one of the major themes in that work is non-binary identities. And one of the reasons that I was so eager to write a non-binary character is because of my fans. Lots of them are non-binary, and there's so many different flavors of non-binary that I couldn't possibly represent them all. But uh, a lot of my friends and fans express this hunger for a non-binary character. So that definitely influenced me when I was creating the characters for that universe. Uh, Fur and Fang is uh, a delight to read, by the way. <laughs> that uh, one's pretty low angst. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's another pure word that uh, where sex or sexual tension is pretty present. Uh, why do you choose to be as descriptive in many of your work for that specific part of relationship? 
I think sex is a really great and underutilized way to show character development, to advance your plot, and to make the audience empathize with your characters. I think that because society as a whole, especially Western society, has this shame around sex, uh, people are either embarrassed to write it or read it, or they think it's wrong to write it or read it. But I think it's like a treasure trove. It's a gold mine for character interactions, for showing how characters feel about themselves and their bodies and the world and their gender and their sexuality and uh, what is important to them. Um, because, you know, a character that hops into bed with someone very quickly is going to have a different worldview than someone who needs more of a slow burn. Uh, my favorite trope, it's an underutilized trope, I love it, is when two people have sex early on in the story and then later they realize that they're in love and then they get really embarrassed and awkward because they're like, oh, I thought that this was just sex, but no, I actually am in love with you. It's kind of the opposite of the slow burn trope, and I would love to see more of it because it's so uh, delicious. In Lucky Seven, you've got a couple of very interesting plot twists, right? Where he was a very couple of very interesting plot, plot twists as we read the book. Did that come organically? Did it come naturally? Or did you plan it in advance? Did you know before you were going to write the book that this is what you were going to go do? Oh, yeah. The plot twist in the middle, especially. And I also switched perspectives from one main character to the other main character at the same time. I knew that going in. That was the point I was writing toward at the beginning and the point I was writing from at the end. Uh, because Lucky Seven is based on some very interesting questions. At least they're interesting to me. And I don't think it'll spoil the book to say what those questions are. Um, questions like, are you the sum of your memories? Is that what makes you an individual? And what happens if some of those memories are altered or deleted or changed in some way? Do, are you still the same person or are you a new individual because your memories are different? So that was the question I started writing about. And that is where several of the plot twists come from, is that, that starting question. And if anyone wants advice, on how to write a compelling book. Like if you're a starting, you're an aspiring author or a writer starting out, uh, come up with an interesting question and then come up with a plot from that question. That will serve you well. That's a great tip. Very great tip. Uh, especially for young writer or just in general, uh, what is your approach for first draft? Do you like write it all and then share it to your uh, beta readers, sensitive readers, etc. Or do you need input as you go to keep working and writing? Uh, that's partially what fan fiction is for. Uh, with fan fiction, I can get that immediate feedback. And I'll be honest, immediate praise for some of it. <laughs> and I get that dopamine rush in my head that is so necessary to keep going. But with novels, no, I, uh, I write the whole first draft before I send it off to be uh, read and read penned as well. And uh, it works for me. I try to be kind to myself with my first drafts and say, you just need something. You can always fix it later, but you can't fix what isn't written yet. But, you know, it's always a struggle. No matter how many projects you finish, it's always a struggle when you get your first draft back and it has all these red marks on it and you're like, oh, no. 
my my strategy for dealing with that is to take a day to sulk about it. Uh, I get the I get the comments back in my inbox and I cry about it for 24 hours. I give myself 24 hours and then I, I put on my big girl pants and I'm like, okay, time to go in and see what I can do to make my vision more easily understandable by my readers. Does it get easier every book you write? Does that red pen thing get easier? Or does um, it still yeah, hurt? it does. It gets easier, but never easy, if that makes sense. Uh, I will say that I have become more of a planner the more books I write, uh, which has saved me pain in the long run. I have learned that usually it's a good idea to write a detailed outline and share it with somebody I trust or several someones I trust before I start getting into the nitty gritty of the first draft. Because often, if there's a major problem with the plot, like a big plot hole or a character motivation that doesn't hit right, usually uh, one of my writer friends will be able to spot it in the outline. And that saves me a lot of work later on. So I want to just uh, make a side question about yourself. For your fan like me, uh, can you tell us something that no one would expect to be true about you? Uh, I am four foot ten. I'm <coughs> super tiny. My goal in life, aside from just writing and that part of my career, is to make short people feel tall. <laughs> okay. People who are like five feet or five foot two, they love standing next to me because I make them feel taller than they are. <laughs> It's a nice change of pace for them. I made Elena short because I'm short and I wanted someone to be it's, like me and be the hero of the story, rare, not be so like... It's to find that. I, I just absolutely love that about the book. So. <laughs> one of my next goals is to write a short butch because butches are always like expected to be tall uh, because they're portraying some masculine traits from the gender buffet. So they're usually always tall and ripped. And yeah, Sasha is tall and ripped. And that's okay. That's okay. great. But... One of my goals for a future work is to write a short butch character because they're great too. I know many in real life and they're awesome. So what's, what's a typical writing day like? Do you divide your time between oh, the novel and the fanfic or do you work on a novel exclusively then go on to the fanfic? How do, you, how do you divide your time? Well, 11 months out of the year, I generally have three projects that I'm juggling at a time. And I have a list and I go through and add like 500 words or 600 words to each project on that list of three. And that allows me to work on fan fiction and original fiction and also allows me to rotate editing of manuscripts in as well for one of my three slots. Now, November is a little different. Uh, it is November 29th. So National Novel Writing Month is almost over. I have started a brand new novel called Song of Stars, and it's a fantasy novel in a very low magic world, which I've never done before. So only one character in the whole novel has magical abilities, and part of the novel is about how her childhood best friend and love interest deals with that jealousy, like, why, why am I not the chosen one? So, uh, yeah, uh, National Novel Writing Month, you write 1,667 words a day, for 30 days. And at the end of it, you have 50,000 words of a manuscript and uh, some parts of it might be a hot mess and some parts of it might be amazing. Uh, you won't know till January when you go back and read through <laughs> what you wrote. 
but yeah, uh, for, for November, I just focus on one project, usually an original fiction project. And I'm pleased to announce that I am only 2,000 words from finishing this year's NaNoWriMo, so I'm going to win. Yay! I already bought myself a winner <laughs> shirt, so I have to come through tomorrow and write those last 2,000 words. Is it, can you make yourself write? Do you have days when you don't feel like writing? Or can you I just, mean, uh... I take mental health days once in a while. You know, dealing with depression and anxiety uh, means that I have some days just I have to be kind to myself and do something else. But pretty much, yeah, every day. Uh, part of what makes a professional writer uh, different from someone who just does it because they love it, which is also perfectly valid and still some very talented people uh, are writers, but not authors. But I think what really makes a successful author is a daily habit and uh, being able to write even when you're not inspired because eventually, you know, your deadline comes up and you need a manuscript. You can always fix something that falls a little flat later and punch it up, but if it's not there, then you don't have a novel. Yep, that's so true. Um, well, congrats on uh, November. I won't say the, the, the acronym. I can't. NaNoWriMo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that. Uh, so, knowing you, I suppose, again, there's probably some uh, sex in it. Speaking of it, yeah. kink. Is there a kink you won't write for any reason? Is there a limit to your exploration in a fiction world? Can I disqualify a gender? <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not really a kink. Uh, I don't really have an interest in writing sex between cisgender men. Uh, okay. Just not my area of interest. Uh, as for kink, uh, I wrote foot stuff once because someone asked me really, really nicely for months on end, and I felt bad for them. I know that sounds like it would be annoying, uh, but yeah, generally, like, I like kinks that are about dominance and submission. If it's about, like, a rubber chicken, it's not really, it doesn't connect to the theme of dominance and submission, which is what a lot of my kinks stem from. You can always tie them back to that major theme. So I prefer writing about stuff that circles around that theme. But there always has to be consent, of course. Clearly established consent. And I've completely gone blank on what I wanted. <laughs> well, I was talking about foot stuff and rubber chicken. People, okay. So if you write... One of the things you'll discover if you write sex scenes and post them on the internet or publish them in your books, people then take that as license to tell you way too much about their own kinks and their <laughs> own sex life. And there are some boundaries there, you know? Like, just because your author, your favorite author writes a really good sex scene, they don't necessarily <laughs> want to know what you and your spouse did last week. <laughs> Uh, my comfort writing about sex between fictional characters is way higher because I have control of that situation. But if some random person messages me with intimate details about their sex lives and what they did, you know, I usually don't want that. That makes me a little uncomfortable. So maybe think twice. You could at least say, hello, I loved your book first. <laughs> be a good story <laughs> or maybe just keep that story for your friend in, in a drunken night yeah that's yeah don't you have friends that you play cards against humanity with or go to the bar with when there's no covid to threaten you like you have surely you have people in your life that you could talk to about this besides a stranger on the internet 
But I, I think the sad thing is a lot of people don't because there's this shame about sex. And if people assume that if you post about it on the internet, then that means that you must be comfortable with it. And I, I wish that people were more comfortable talking about sex with their friends, as long as it doesn't cross any boundaries with those friends. I think there's something also about the anonymity of the internet that's a bit freeing for people. So that might make it easier to, you know, write something in an email that you would never say to someone face to face. Oh possibly. gosh, yeah. yeah. If you were stuck in a in a in a bunker or a desert island and you could only bring one type of divertisement, what would it be? Well, I mean. I I would desperately need at least a pen and paper so I could write the stories in my head. Like I'd have to have that. And if I, you know, if I have to pick something besides writing, I mean, I would bring books. I have a great love for novels. I love reading. I love video games too, a whole lot. I think they tell great stories and there are some amazing video games out there. But if I had to choose, I would bring, you know, my favorite novel. Speaking of video game, I know you're a big fan of uh, Mass Effect. I am. Um, and basically, I started playing because of you, but that's another thing. Uh, <laughs> Good! I'm so happy whenever I hear someone say that they played Mass Effect because of me. <laughs> well, actually, it was one of my friends was bugging me, and I was meh, and then I read you were fun, and I was... Okay. It's so <laughs> an alien dating simulator. Yes. Um, but your love for sci-fi gaming, does it influence your writing? And if so, how? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I will freely admit that my first novel idea way back in 2012, uh, Dark Horizons was my first space opera. Although most of it takes place just on Earth. Uh, the later two books are in space. Uh, was based on a Mass Effect alternate universe idea I had. I had this idea, what if the Asari had uh, conquered all of the galaxy except Earth? Uh, and then I decided, well, this is actually a pretty cool idea, so I'm just going to not write a fanfic. I'm going to write it as a novel and change the species. And I like to think that as the years went on and it became a trilogy, I added my own world-building touches and made it my own. But yeah, the, the initial spark of inspiration, absolutely Mass Effect. I will freely admit that. I wanted to ask, following on from Camille's question, really, if you could take one of the people from Lucky Seven on a dinner date, whom would you choose? I'm going to put you in the spot now. Oh, no, that's hard. I don't want to split up. I don't want to split. Can I... Can I just take Sasha and Elena both on a dinner date? And there's a character in Lucky Eight. Ooh. <laughs> that I would definitely take on a dinner date because I think she's adorable. Uh, but you'll just have to wait for the book to come out to meet that character. Can, Can we get I will say she's the yeah. first new character that is introduced in the book. Can we have the name? Her name is Ocho, and that might tell you something about her. Oh. Can we get any other sneak peeks into Lucky Eight that you can give away without, give, without spoiling the book? Uh... I will say that it definitely asks the question, what kind of community can you build that is self-sustaining and make sure that everyone's basic human needs are met? 
And how can you build that kind of community when we live in a capitalist hellscape? So it asks questions about what kind of futures can we build for ourselves when we have corporations run amok. And it was really nice to think about that and to come up with some hopeful ideas about it because I think there's a shortage of hope in the world. I think you can simultaneously be concerned about, you know, all the horrible things going on in the world, but also imagine a better future. I don't think those are mutually exclusive. And Lucky Eight is about those warring uh, impulses and about how they're both important and they have to share space. So in Lucky, Lucky Seven, you have some really intricate fight scenes. You have fight scenes in cyberspace. You have fight scenes in meat space. How, how did you choreograph those? How did you plan those? Uh, part of making the fight scenes good was putting them in present tense, which was not how the book started. I started writing, I wrote 30,000 words of that book in past tense. And then I realized I wanted the jacking scenes, uh, jacking as in uh, you plug into the internet with your brain for people who haven't read it yet. Uh, I wanted them to have more immediacy and to feel faster paced and more exhilarating. So I, I changed it all to present tense. And I mean, I will be honest. Normally, I actually, I prefer third person past tense when I'm reading a, a novel. But when the author is very good, first person and present tense can be really useful tools if you're trying to convey a certain idea. And in that same vein, I knew that Lucky Seven had to be in first person because I needed to give Sasha, who's the second uh, point of view character, time to explore a lot of conflicted internal feelings because she has an internal journey in addition to her external journey. And it was such a complicated internal journey that I, I did not relish the thought of doing that in third person. That would make it seem like the omniscient narrator knew too much about her. So I, I chose first person present tense, which is a... Something that is a little rarer, but I, I think it served this novel well, and it was the right choice. When you were writing Lucky Seven, was there a voice that was the most insistent, or, you know, the loudest there, always talking to you and telling you what which way to take the story? Do you have that happening to you? Yes, for sure. Elena's voice definitely came easier to me, uh, because she's a lot like me, I think. She is a uh, short, feminine fast-talking, uh, go-do-it type of person. Uh, and she has a weakness for very strong ladies that could kick your ass. So it was pretty easy to inhabit her head, especially because she's the new person in this world. And that's why I started with her. She is the newcomer to this crew of queer misfits who are doing these dangerous jobs so she doesn't know all the other characters at the start. She is the interloper. So, you know, it's always easy to write a fish out of water story because we've all been that fish out of water. We've all been in a situation where we feel like we're in over our heads and everything is flying in our face at once. I have a soft spot for all of them, but actually Rami, I just want to protect them. They, they actually have, you know, they've had a lot of stuff happen in their backstory that hasn't even come up in the series yet. But they uh, were a very wealthy corp kid who was born to a wealthy family and turned their back on that in order to live more authentically. And that is something that 
makes me relate to them and makes me want to protect them. You just said series. So we can expect more than just Lucky 8? More book? I, I envisioned it as a trilogy. Okay. So there will probably be a Lucky something. I don't know if it'll be Lucky 9. The next one is definitely Lucky 8. That was one is in its final stage of revision. So hopefully at the new year. I'm going to give you a couple of words. And you just pick the one that feels right. No explanation, no nothing. Just go, 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 go. Do it. Perfect. So... Book, movie, video games. Book. Music or silence? Music. Cocktail, mocktail. Cocktail. <laughs> Day, night. Night. Friends, family, lovers. Lovers. Bar, club, restaurant. Restaurant. I miss going to restaurants. <laughs> Theater, cinema. Theater. Hurley bird, night owl. Oh, night owl. <laughs> Sock blanket. Blanket. Vanilla chocolate. Vanilla. Spicy mild. Spicy. That's Thank Robin. You. Thank you very much for joining us today, Ray. <laughs> so, do you have any any so any welcome. parting words for your fans? Any thoughts you want to leave them with? The world needs as many queer stories as it can get, especially right now when we're all so desperate to see ourselves. So if you think you have a queer story inside you, then you should do everything you can to bring it into the world because you never know who might desperately need it. And your voice is super important. You should, you should tell all the stories that are in your brain. I promise you people will care and people will love it. Thank you very much for today. It was, it was really nice to talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so honored that you selected me and Lucky7 for your book club. I'm definitely going to participate in the book club in coming months uh, when it's other authors, I hope. So I'm very excited to see what, what you pick next.